Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. And that is the reason we exist as a church, to proclaim the message that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. That's why we gather together. I want to bring a special message today. What's in a name? What's in a name? You know, the name of our church is Grace Baptist Church, but we didn't begin with that. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll be there in a minute. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you just look under the chair in front of you, there's a Bible provided for you. Hope that you'll take advantage of it. Romans chapter 5. So here we have our building and in the, the history video that we showed, there were some things about the building. But we know that the church is not the building. If for whatever reason we couldn't meet in this building, we could meet under a tree somewhere and we would still be Grace Baptist Church. Isn't that right? So what what is in a name? Well, our founding pastor, Bill Hovestreit, he was really an incredible man. And one of the things I'm jealous of, I think he was about 6'4". And so when I first came, the pulpit that they had came to about here on me. So we had to, we had to do something about that. But our, our resident historian, Patrick Kennedy, is writing a history of the church, and this is from that. And the, the, he wrote this. Garrett Jan William Hovestreit was born in Harlem, Holland in 1926. His mother, Jonti Hofsey Hovestreit, immigrated to America in 1928, landing the day Herbert Hoover won the election as president. His father, Garrett, had immigrated one year earlier in order to get things in order for the family's arrival. William, Bill, grew up in Detroit near Temple Baptist Church, where the Hovestrites began to attend. After his early schooling, Bill attended Moody Bible Institute and then received a Bachelor of Divinity degree from Baptist Bible Seminary in 1948. He returned to Detroit and worked as a clerk in an auto sales dealership for a time until the Lord called him to full-time pastoral ministry in 19, full-time ministry. In 1949, he married his Kentucky-born sweetheart, Virginia Barbara Wilkes, Mr. Wenner and Puckett. So there were two families here in Sydney. They were attending Troy Baptist Temple. They wanted a church like that in Sydney. So they contacted Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, and the pastor there referred them to Bill Hovestrite, who had been called to become a pastor. So Mr. Wenner and Puckett contacted uh, the family at Temple Baptist Detroit to inquire about men who may be open to planting a church in Ohio. Consequently, they, attacked, they, they contacted Bill Hovestrite in November 1950. Then the Pucketts visited Bill and Virginia Hovestrite in Detroit, and later the Hovestrites met with the men in Sydney to survey the opportunity and begin planning. The Hovestrites traveled back and forth between Detroit and Sydney while preparations were made, announcements sent out, personal invitations extended to people around the area. The Hovestrites continued to travel each week between, between Detroit and Sydney for 31 weeks until July 1951 when they permanently moved to Sydney. On Thursday, January 4th, 1951, the first service of the church was held in the home of Joseph and Imogene Wenner, at 1804 North Main Street in Sydney. We got some folks that were talking about being in a Sunday school class there. They'd go into a bedroom for a Sunday school class and they'd sit on the floor in the living room while 
Pastor Bill preached. Seventeen individuals attended that service. Following 13 weeks of church services in the home, the Fundamental Baptist Church of Sydney, Ohio, was organized on Saturday the 7th, April 1951. Brother George Morgan of Temple Baptist Detroit officiated the organizing meeting. Nineteen people became constituent members of the church. These were Bill Hovestreit, Virginia Hovestreit, Joseph Wenner, Imogene Wenner, David Puckett, Zula Puckett, Lowell Sims, Maxine Sims, P. James, Shelby Abbott, Leona Abbott, Shelby Abbott, Iona Abbott, Robert Zimfer, T. Fenton Hewins, E. Hewins, Mrs. Ed Woodruff, Thomas Dunson, and Mrs. Dunson. And of all of the folks that were there in the early days, the oldest one we have left is Barb Lawrence back there. This is Tom Doty and Marcy's sister, and she's a day older than baseball. She wanted me to tell you that. <laughs> and so they were here. We have folks that were here in those early, early meetings 71 years ago. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I do want to say this. We're not going to get into the, the different ministries that we have, but one of the key ministries here that really defines our work is one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Remember, Jesus said to go and make disciples. And so what we do is we, we get a, a man, trains a man, a lady trains a lady, and the church that taught us how to do that is First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And Barb and Marlon Lawrence are the ones who introduced us to that ministry. How many of you here have been influenced through the, the discipleship ministry of Grace Baptist? Would you raise your hands? All right, well, that is due to the influence of, of Barbara Marlin back there, and we're so thankful for you. It changed my life. I know that, and it changed the entire direction of our ministry, and it's wonderful to see people being faithful after all these years. Amen? I mean, it's like 93 years that Barb has been serving God, and we're very, we're very thankful for that. But... Eight of the new members came from Troy Baptist Temple, three from Piqua Baptist Church, two from Temple Baptist in Detroit, and six from several Baptist churches of Kentucky. Bill Hovestreit was unanimously called as pastor of the new church on Saturday, the 14th of April, 1951. He was ordained by the Detroit church the same year. Now that the founding of the church was accomplished, the new pastor and his helpful wife and other members had to roll up their sleeves and began the real work of laying the spiritual foundation of the church. You know, again, a church is more than a building. Building a building is not what makes a church. A church is gathering a group of people, a group of individuals, for the purpose of preaching the gospel, observing the ordinances, we'll talk about that in a minute, and expounding the scriptures, and then evangelizing, taking the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only into our local community, but around the world, that is the purpose of a church. But what is in a name? So it says fundamental Baptists are organized here. Funda isn't that funny? Funda the terrorists are here. There was a, what, who are these people, these fundamentalists that are coming? What did that mean? So, again, this is from Patrick's history. It is evident that Pastor Bill, Virginia, and the other establishing members of this local body of believers desired to be obedient to God's word. Some of the foundational doctrines on which the church was founded at the beginning were, and this is from a history that was written by Pastor Hovestreit, 
as a new soul-winning church, and if you remember, we saw the picture of the cornerstone. The Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise in the book of Proverbs. A new soul-winning church based upon the teachings of the Bible as set forth in our confession of faith. We wanted an independent church free from the suggestions of liberal hierarchies. What are liberal hierarchies? How many of you have heard of an outside organization telling a local church what they have to believe, right? So an independent church doesn't have any of that. We, we, we are an autonomous body. That is, we as a church, we submit to the Scriptures, and we teach based on the authority of the Scriptures, not from any outside organization. That's the type of church that they were beginning here, and we have continued to be. We wanted an independent church free from the suggestions of liberal hierarchies, believing the local church should be an autonomous or self-governing body. We wanted to stand for the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus Christ is God. When this church was established in the 1940s, 1930s, 1940s in America, many of the mainline denominations were beginning to deny that Jesus is God. Now, many churches in the mainline denominations are still preaching the death, burial, and resurrection. They still believe that Jesus is God, and we're very thankful for every one of those churches that continues and maintains the preaching of the truth. Isn't that right? But at this time, this was a huge battle. And so when they were called the fundamental Baptist church, what that meant was they were standing for these doctrines, that Jesus Christ is God, that he was virgin-born, and that he's coming back again. These are the things that they were standing for. So we wanted to stand for the deity of Jesus Christ, his blood atonement. What is that? That when Jesus died on the cross, as the ladies sang today so beautifully, when Jesus died on the cross, that sacrifice was for me. That sacrifice was for you. The Bible says he tasted death for every man, that we all needed that sacrifice. So his blood atonement at Calvary, the need for man's repentance in view of his innate condition of sin and his necessity of accepting the Savior as his own by faith for his salvation. You see, there's no such thing as corporal salvation. There's no such thing as corporate salvation. No one has ever been saved by joining Grace Baptist Church. No one has ever been born again by becoming a Baptist. No one has ever been born again by becoming a Presbyterian or some other religion. The only way that anyone can have a sure hope of heaven is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And at some point, that sacrifice has to be applied to your account individually. It has to be applied to my account individually. My two children, Lydia and Jacob, because I'm a pastor and, of course, one of the most amazing preachers in the history of Christianity. Okay, strike that from the record. The fact that I'm a preacher of the Word of God has nothing to do with whether or not my children get to go to heaven. They have to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life. My salvation doesn't apply to them. My salvation applies to me. Laura's salvation doesn't apply to them. Her salvation applies to her. We must be born again individually. That's what this church was founded on, and this is what Pastor Hovestrite is writing. We sought to exalt the doctrines of eternal security. Have you ever heard this? Don't you Baptists believe in once saved, always saved? Have you ever heard that? And what's the answer? Yes, I'm so glad I don't have to keep my own salvation. I would have lost it this morning already. 
I'm a little bit of a high-strung individual. We sought to exalt the doctrines of eternal security, a literal hell for the lost. Hell is a very real place, and Jesus doesn't want you to go there. The Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus died on the cross so that no one has to go there, but people still do because they don't choose Christ. A literal hell for the lost and a literal heaven for the saved. The verbal inspiration of the Scripture. We believe that God inspired every word of the Bible, and we still have them today. And then the doctrine of the local church, the doctrine of the local church. We believe that every saved person is in the body of Christ, but that God has chosen to work through local congregations like Grace Baptist Church, like Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, like Troy Baptist Temple, Piqua Baptist Church, the other churches that provided people to come to Grace Baptist Church. We're not the only one. We're not the only church in existence, but we believe that God's plan is to work through local assemblies. And here's what he said, by the latter... We imply that God's work in this age should be chiefly channeled through the local body. Subscription for membership in the church would be based upon a man's regeneration. That's his new birth. What did Jesus say? You must be born again. And if you've never been born again, here's why we wanted to get you in the room, to tell you, you must be born again. Everyone, all of us, we must be born again. So that that uh, by the latter we imply that God's work in this age should be chiefly channeled through the local body. Subscription for membership in the church would be based upon a man's regeneration, that's being born again, and his subsequent immersion in water to portray such everlasting conversion. We're going to talk about that again in a second, but this is from Pastor Hovestrike. That's what it meant to be That's what it meant to be the fundamental Baptist church. That's why it had that name. But fundamental Baptist, what's in a name? What is in a name? What does it mean to be Baptist? Well, there are a couple of things that identify what a Baptist church is. The first is the the sole authority of the scriptures. There's no outside organization, as we said a minute ago, that governs our church. The government of our church is not our church constitution or our statement of faith. While those are important to us, This is our authority. The Bible is our authority. The second of our principles is a born-again church membership. To be a member at Grace Baptist Church, you must be born again. And, And so what does it mean to be born again? It's when you realize that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin and that if you don't repent of your sins, that that means that you're going to have to spend eternity in hell And you realize that Jesus Christ is God. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross to pay for that sin. And you ask him to save you. You acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And you acknowledge that your baptism can't save you. Your good works can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And you ask him to save you. And when that happens, there's a transaction that takes place. In a moment in time, you become born again. It happens. It's an exchange It's where you give Jesus your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That's what it means to be born again. And then one of the other distinctives of being a Baptist is that you follow the Lord in baptism after that you believe. Now, I'm sure we have many people here that were baptized as infants. This is the difference between a Baptist church and, say, a Presbyterian church, as I mentioned earlier. And even though many Presbyterians are going to be in heaven with us Baptists, This is one of the differences between a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church. That's what it means. So when we're building this building, we have a baptismal tank that's that's right here. 
And the guys that were building, one of them said to me, what's that tub for? Well, that's where we baptize. And baptism is by immersion, where we, we dip the whole person in the water and bring them back, back out, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So fundamental, those foundational doctrines, Baptist, that determines the type of organization our church will be. But around 1954, the name of the church was changed to Grace Baptist Church. So what's in a name? Why are we called Grace Baptist Church? What is that talking about? 1954, it was changed. The name defines, this name defines the mission of Grace Baptist Church. So it's more than just a title. Sometimes you'll go into a place, you'll see a sign that says world's greatest coffee. You go in there and it tastes like turpentine. Have you ever experienced that? Well, that's false advertising. And there are many churches that will say something. You'll see a church that says Christ's church and you go into the church and you can tell Christ hasn't been there in years. False advertising. We don't want Grace Baptist Church. Now, if you go to a Christ's church, I have no idea about your church. I'm using that as an example. But there are a lot of churches that call themselves Baptist churches that are no longer practicing Baptist doctrine. There are churches that might say Grace Church that no longer preach the grace of Jesus Christ. Here at Grace Baptist Church, we still do. The name defines the mission of Grace Baptist Church. So look at your Bibles at at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this. What does that mean? What does it mean to be justified by faith? Well, justification, it's a legal term. So if you were standing before a judge and the judge pronounced you not guilty, all right, not guilty, that's what it means to be justified. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid for my sin, when I asked Jesus Christ to save me, he did. The Bible says that anyone who comes in that comes to Christ, he will in no wise cast out. If you'll come to Jesus, he will save you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the amount of sin or how bad that sin is. Jesus will save you. When you are born again, what happens is God the Father legally declares you righteous, not guilty. That's what it means to be justified. Now, notice what it says. Look at what it says again. Therefore, being justified. Not that we will be justified. How many of you have ever known a Christian that you wouldn't have really known there were a Christian unless they told you? Right? Here's the good news. My behavior doesn't determine whether or not I get to go to heaven. My behavior can't get me saved and my behavior can't keep me saved. Now, should believers behave in a way that brings glory to God? Of course right? The Bible makes that very clear, but that's not what my salvation is. Being justified, that's a present possession. I have that now, but how did it happen? Therefore, being justified by works. Is that what it says? So you'll ask somebody, if you died today, are you sure that you would go to heaven? Are you sure? And you know what you usually get when you ask someone that? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Well, what are you trusting in to take you to heaven? Well, I believe in God. I'm a good person. I go to church. I pay my taxes. I'm a good father. How many of you have heard those kinds of answers? Those are works. Those are works. Works are different than faith. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, if of faith, then not 
of works. So we are justified, we're declared righteous, not based on our works, but based on what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross through his death, burial, and then, of course, his resurrection. So therefore, being justified by faith, now here's the good part. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. There was a a famous atheist named Voltaire. And Voltaire, he would attack Christianity. He was about to die. And someone said to him on his deathbed, have you made peace with God? Have you made peace with God? And Voltaire famously said, I didn't know we had ever quarreled. I didn't know that we had ever quarreled. John MacArthur has a great quote in his commentary on Romans. And he said this, most unsaved people, now who are unsaved people? These are people who have not trusted Christ alone for their eternal life. They're not saved. They're lost. So if you're here today and you're trusting in Jesus plus your good works, according to the word of God, you're lost. If you're trusting Jesus plus your baptism, if you're trusting that that you're just a good person. So let's read on with what Dr. MacArthur says. Most unsaved people do not think of themselves as, as enemies of God because they have no conscious feelings of hatred for him and do not actively oppose his work or contradict his word, they consider themselves at, at worst to be neutral about God. But no such neutrality is possible. The mind of every unsaved person is at peace only with the things of the flesh and therefore, by definition, is hostile toward God and cannot be otherwise. The Bible uses this word, enmity. The Bible says that's the condition, that's the the, the relationship between God and an unsaved person. They're at enmity. Do you know what 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 a more familiar word for enmity is? War. War. And so a lot of people, they don't believe that they are actually at war with God, but according to the Bible, they are. So what do we do about it? There can be no peace with God without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And again, as the lady sang earlier, so look back at your Bibles. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice it doesn't say the peace of God. This is not talking about inner satisfaction. This is not talking about uh, that your turmoil is gone. That's, That's not what the peace is talking about here. This is talking about a cessation of hostilities. There is a war. Every human being is at war with God until they are born again. It doesn't matter whether you're a religious person or not. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. It doesn't matter. I was preaching in Texas with my friend Dalton Robertson, and he said there are more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. Because being a Baptist, calling yourself a Baptist, won't take anybody to heaven. It's not about your religion. It's about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. That's what the gospel message is. There can be no peace with God without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So the book of Ephesians explains it. I'm just going to read some verses. I put them on the screen for you. I want you to see what the book of Ephesians, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he said. That at that time, so before Christ, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So remember, God was only working through Israel before Jesus came. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. This is the state of everyone, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So, there's that wall of separation between you and God. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, the Bible puts it this way. There was a a handwriting of ordinances written against us. So this is my bill of indictment. And you know what the Bible says Jesus did? He took it and nailed it to his cross. His blood paid for that. And so that's what this verse is talking about. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Who brought the peace between God and us? Jesus did. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, that's the Jew and the Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There's no reason for racism. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your race is. Jesus died for everybody. He tasted death for every man. We are one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, I love that. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid that penalty. Having abolished in his flesh, oh, there's that word, the enmity, the war, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain, that's Jew and Gentile, one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, that's the church, by the cross, having slain the enmity, the war, thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Why? Because for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Through Jesus Christ now we have access to the Father. Now, you got to remember what that means. This is so important. So, you remember the stories of the tabernacle in the wilderness, Moses and the Hebrew children, they had the tabernacle, and you, you couldn't come near it. You could, if you were a Gentile, you could only come so far. If you were a lady, you could only come so far. If you were a Jewish man, you could only come so far. But only the high priest could enter into the holiest of all and make the sacrifice. And they put a bell on his garment and a rope tied around his ankle. So if the, the, the bells stopped moving, you knew that, that he had some sin in his life. God had killed him and they dragged the dead body out of the tabernacle. That's the God that the people in the Old Testament knew. You did not have access to that father. You did not. Job said, for he is not a man that we can reason together. He said, there's no daysman that could come between us, that could touch God and touch man. But the Bible says about Jesus, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus When Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? Do you remember that veil, the song they sang about it? They think they called it a curtain or something in the song. That was torn in two from top to bottom. What did that mean? Now you have access. See, here's the good news. You don't need to come to me to go to God. You don't come to me to confess your sin. You can go straight to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what the verse is saying. For through him, we both have access by one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God unto the Father. Why does it say by one spirit? Because the Bible says that nobody can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. So here's what's happening in your heart right now. 
as I'm standing up here telling you about the message of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is... The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart's door. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, you need Jesus. Please repent. Please ask Jesus to be your Savior. And by this Spirit, we have access unto the Father. So now look at Romans 5 again. So verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, look, it says the same thing. By whom also, that's Jesus Christ, we have access to by faith into his grace or into this grace. What's in a name? Grace Baptist Church. The word grace means gift. It means gift. I need somebody to help me. Ethan, come on up. Sam's gotten too tall. I'll use Ethan. Come on up here. Because Ethan's short. Okay, I got my 25th anniversary pen. It's really fun, really cool. I want to make this a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Just take it. Because all you have to do to get a gift is receive it. Now, in order to keep it, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. He gave it back. Why'd you give it back? Because it's not a gift if you have to work for it. Thank you, Ethan. It's, is that right? You can't work for a gift. The Bible says, for by grace... Are you saved through faith? And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes, I've been good enough to go to heaven. Yes, you got there by faith, but I was a good boy. And nobody's going to be able to say that. The only way any of us ever get into heaven is because of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's how we gain access into that grace. And here's the good news, wherein we stand. Now, I'll bet you that when you all came in and you sat down on the chair, you didn't get under the chair and search for the the structural integrity of the chair before you sat down. Well, we got a few engineers, I'm sure, that, you know, Ed Berman probably does that every Sunday. But normal people don't do that. Right? How many of you just sat down? That's what faith is. It's just resting in what Jesus did. I don't have to do it. Jesus did. That's what it means to have faith. This is not an insult to any other religion. This is just what the Bible says about faith. Wherein we stand, and then I love it, and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, eventually, if the Lord doesn't return, all of us are going to die. Good news, we're going to die. Right? Would you all agree with that? And none of us get out of this alive. We're all going to die. And you know, there are many people that have terrible fear. Because they're going to come face to face with a righteous and holy God. You know what the good news is when you're born again? The fear is gone. The Bible says that love casteth out fear. That's such a wonderful thing. Now we can look forward to seeing the face of our Savior. We can look forward to seeing this God. Why? Because God the Father's justice, His righteousness was satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made to be sin for us 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the last thing I'm going to say to you. This is it. On the cross, God treated Jesus the way I deserve to be treated so that he can treat me the way Jesus deserves to be treated. See, when God the Father sees me, he doesn't see the sinner. And let me just tell you something. I'm a sinner. That's not what God sees. You know what he sees when he looks at Jim Alter? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jim's so good? No, 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 no. No. I'm so bad, I've got to have Christ's righteousness. So when I die, and I want that to be a long time from now, when I die, when I see the Father, when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be able to rejoice. I'm going to be able to stand in grace. What's in a name? Fundamental Baptist Church. That's our doctrine. That's the way that we, we do business. The most important part is the grace. Have you received the grace of Jesus Christ? Are you resting in that grace? Are you standing in it? What's in a name? Everything. What's the most important name? There's none other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby ye must be saved. What is that name? Jesus. Let's all stand together. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you. Thank you so much for being born of a virgin, for living a sinless life, for going to the cross, being nailed to the cross for me. You did it for me so that I don't have to pay. You paid. And then you give that to me as a gift. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has not received that gift, that today will be the day. With every head bowed, nobody's looking around. Just ask Christ to save you. If you just go to the Lord and ask him to save you, he will. Giving money won't save you. Getting baptized won't save you. Going to a Baptist church won't save you. Only Jesus will. And let me tell you this, going to your church won't save you either. Only Jesus can. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him today.